Welcome to the Experts in Dubai show, your home for deeper news, behind the scenes and real life stories. Hey everyone, it's Amber Wahid and welcome to the Experts in Dubai show and another episode in the great Ford Fightback series. The investment journey goes through many challenges and stages. There are times in our lives as we personally grow and change when we start asking, when can I start investing? How much disposable income do I need to become an investor? What if I get married? What if I get divorced and what happens to our joint investments? If you are at this point where your mind keeps throwing these questions at you, keep listening as we're going to answer them for you as we dive deep into this topic. I've invited Stuart McCulloch from the Fry Group back for this episode to discuss what the process should look like when you first meet a financial advisor and contemplating investing in products and funds. And as your life situation changes, as you grow and age and your salary hopefully increases, your investment planning and portfolio will inevitably change alongside it. So we'll share various scenarios with you as well and what Stuart's take and advice is in each one of those scenarios. The Fry Group is based in the DIFC. All advisors are fully qualified and regulated, and the Middle East arm of the global business is headed up by Stuart, who is ex-Coots and Bank of Singapore, with over 30 years of experience in financial services in the UK and the Middle East. Stuart, good to see you again. Good to see you as well. Uh, Amber, thank you very much for inviting me along. First, everyone is talking about it. Have you gone over to Expo yet? Not yet, but we are looking forward to going over as a team. We're going to take a Sunday, uh, probably in January, and go over as a team and, and just uh, see what it's all about. But I've heard a lot of good things about it. And what do you think the impact is going to be on the whole of Dubai? Well, the whole of Dubai, clearly the impact has been already that it's, it's made Dubai much busier. You know, you, you look at the, the roads are very busy. The hotels, I understand, are very busy. You know, from a local economy perspective, it's been a, a success already. Um, from a company that's based in this region, it's good to see the inflow of people coming here that might not have ordinarily visited uh, the region. Um, and, and hopefully they, they like what they see and it can involve people bringing more investment into the region, which is always good for a firm that's, that's based here because the more expats that come, then the more the, the size of the market is for us to go after. And what do you think is going to happen when it's all over and, you know, in six months' time? Well, it's over in six months' time, then I'd like to think at that point that I can uh, stand at the side of Shadeside Road and get a taxi before I need to <laughs> shave again. Yeah, getting a taxi is a bit of a challenge at the moment. The other talking point is, have you noticed in your weekly grocery shopping, everything is a bit more expensive? Yeah, no, I think um, inflation is is something that we all have to accept is, is going to be there. And I think on the back of the global pandemic, lots of countries beyond the UAE, uh, Europe and, and, and UK, for example, are seeing an increase in inflation. That comes down to the fact that uh, a lot of companies have, have struggled during the lockdown periods and their costs have increased. Um, you know, the, the lack of the same uh, mobility of labour has seen a, a reduction in, in people driving lorries and things like that in the UK, which, is, which has a knock-on effect to all the different industries that require on those logistics, and that pushes up inflation. So um, I'm, I'm, I've got no doubt the UAE is, is not immune to what's happening in other places as well. Okay, let's move to, let's get your thoughts on a couple of controversial subjects that are now regularly brought up in the industry. What are you saying to your clients who bring up the subject of Bitcoin? Because it's everywhere in Dubai. And there's a lot of Bitcoin seminars and webinars within the Emirates. We heard Paul McCullough last week on the show. He sees Bitcoin as more of a short-term, high-risk investment because for him, there's not enough information or data in the market or precedence. 
Yeah, it's interesting because it's something that more and more people are talking about. Uh, and I always get a little bit nervous when people see it as the next big thing and people start jumping into it thinking they're all going to become the next millionaires. Um, it is a very complicated uh, subject, cryptocurrency, and a lot of people that I've spoken to who have been asking me about it don't really know anything about how it works. Uh, and I, I'm always a, a strong advocate of not investing into things if you don't really understand them. Um, I think Bitcoin is is a bit of an interesting one and cryptocurrency in general is a bit of an interesting one because even as a as a financial planner I would have to say that it's something that I'm not I'm not fully understanding how some of them work uh, some of them are, are very very uh, confusing if you try to understand what is the underlying here that's driving the increase in those prices and I think if, if people like myself struggle to understand some of them then your average person in the street is going to be up against it so um, if anybody ever asked me about it I just say look if you're interested in doing it um, very similar to how, how Paul uh, uh, described it, you know, don't put money into it that you maybe can't afford to lose because for uh, for every person that's making money out of it, there'll be two or three that are losing money out of it. So um, if you don't really understand what it is, but you just want to take a bit of a punt, then feel free, uh, but don't use it as the, as the kind of cornerstone of financial planning. Now, using a financial advisor versus a financial coach selling an online course... Let's get your thoughts, Stuart, on these popular online financial courses being sold at the moment and selling the idea that you don't need a financial advisor. You just need to do this course. There's a lot of event companies here in the UAE selling these type of courses and Bitcoin, cryptocurrency are key topics. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one because, you know, on one hand, I would say that I'm a, a very strong advocate of getting a financial education. And I think it's something that's very, very important that we start from school that people start to understand money and start to understand things that you need to know in relation to running budgets and understanding mortgages and things like that. So I'm a, I'm a big, a big fan of people spending some time to try and educate themselves into understanding the finances. I do stop short, however, of, of suggesting that going on a course means you don't need a financial advisor, because um, I would love to see what the course looks like that replaces years of uh, studying and sitting examinations, like we've had to do. Um, and I don't believe that that is in, in any way possible. Uh, I think it's an opportunity for people to learn more than they know, but it doesn't require you to no longer need a financial advisor. You know, people like to learn about uh, the human body and anatomy and how things work, but it doesn't, need, it doesn't mean that you don't need a doctor after that. Um, there's a reason why people have to be properly qualified. And, and there's so many things that can go wrong, and there's so many little things that change all the time. It's not just about going on a course. Things change. Tax rules change. Investment markets change. Products change. It's staying up to date is very, very difficult. And that's what financial's job is to do, you know, for our continuous professional development requirements. Um, and on our side with the tax team, you know, they're constantly changing rules that you have to be aware of and, and tripwires that, that tax regimes bring in to try and raise tax. So um, it's so complicated uh, and it changes all the time um, that it absolutely does not replace the need for a qualified financial advisor. But I do encourage people to try and educate themselves to understand more. Okay, so let's dive into what the process should look like when you first meet a financial advisor and contemplating investing in products and funds. This episode is actually inspired by the fact that the experiences of all of Neil Grant's victims were identical, Neil Grant being the rogue financial advisor that was convicted here in Dubai. 
All of his victims were literally in the same select few policies and the same funds, regardless of their investment profile and the fact that they had different goals and were at different stages in their lives. So, Stuart, there are so many different scenarios. So let's take the listeners through some common investor expert profiles and what the process should look like in each one of these scenarios. Yeah, that's fine. Let's let's do that. Okay. Scenario one. I've just landed in Dubai. I'm single. I've started my new job at, say, 28,000 dirhams a month. I want to save at least 10,000 dirhams a month. What would the savings investment plan look like? Okay, that's a good one. And it's, it's also one that's very, very common. I'm sure people, a lot of people can relate to that, that situation. Um, the important thing I always say uh, when it comes to uh, having the opportunity to save as an expat uh, is that you need to have uh, liquidity in the approach that you take. You need to have flexibility and you want cost effectiveness. Um, so these, these are the kind of three things that I would always encourage people to, to, to look for. And when, it, when we talk about liquidity, liquidity comes in, in two forms. The first thing is making sure you've got money readily available in the bank for known or, or, or unexpected expenditure that can happen, because uh, we can all face that from time to time. You don't want to be taking money out of the market uh, because you've got an unexpected bill. So you should always have an emergency fund, uh, which is very, very liquid and in the bank that you can reach to. What percentage of that monthly salary should be kept in that pot? Well, it's not so much a percentage of the monthly salary. What we tend to, to recommend people have is three to six months of their fixed outgoings uh, available in an account uh, that they could draw on because you never know when you, know, you get unexpected bills or an increase in your bills. So you, or you need to have that money there. Uh, the next part about liquidity is that you need to have liquidity in the investment solutions that you're looking at. And what that means is going into instruments where if you needed to take money out, you can do. Uh, but also if you needed to rebalance the, the portfolio to keep it in line with your risk appetite, you can also do that without incurring any, any costs. So, you know, that, that, that liquidity and flexibility in the investment strategy is absolutely paramount. Okay, scenario two. I'm single, I have a salary of, say, 80,000 dirhams. I can easily save half of that a month. What would the savings investment plan look like here? That's a great question. And uh, the, the stock answer to that is that it should be exactly the same. You know, if you're, if you're making the right approach to your financial planning and your regular savings, whether you're saving 10,000 dirhams a month or you're saving 40,000 dirhams a month, you need to have that, that same type of approach, which is cost-effective, flexible and liquid. Uh, and, and it wouldn't be any different. So the monthly income, whether it increases or not, doesn't affect the planning? The, the planning is, is not talking about a plan as such. It's not talking about product. It's talking about approach. And the approach should be, whether you're investing 10000 a month or 40000 a month, you need to have cost effectiveness, you need to have flexibility, and you need to have liquidity in the investment strategy. Because that's important whether you've got 10000 or 40000 Anyone's circumstances can change. Uh, and, and the specifics around what you invest in will really come down to your appetite for investment risk and the amount of time that you've got to invest. So it's not about um, you get a better service or a different service because you've got, you've got more money. Everyone deserves to get the right approach and, and a solid strategy um, because what, whatever it is they've got to save, that's a lot of money to them. So you need to make sure that you, you, you treat everybody with the same level of care. Okay, so looking at it simply from a larger disposable income, what would significantly change in this scenario compared to scenario one? In those circumstances, then, what the, the, the big change is that when you're dealing with larger sums of money, 
tax implications then start to become an issue that need to be looked at uh, sooner rather than later. So you need to make sure that you understand that person's situation now, understand that person's situation in a few years' time. Um, and if you're going to be building up large sums of money quite quickly, if you're, if you're paying those sorts of levels in, you need to make sure that it's positioned so that it can be tax optimal uh, for when you go back to wherever it is that maybe your, your home country is if you're going to be repatriating. Because the, the repatriation element does need to be planned properly. And when you're talking larger sums, then the potential tax implications are also higher. So therefore, you need to make sure that that's, that's been managed properly. Okay, moving on to scenario three. After eight months in Dubai... I found my dream guy down at Double Deckers. Unlikely, but carry on. We're getting, we're getting married. We're thinking kids. He's a serious saver on 80,000 dirhams with all these existing plans. Mm. How do we merge our investment portfolio? How would it change now we are a couple? Well, that's a very interesting one because there's, there's no stock answer to that because it depends on the objectives that each individual's got for the money that they've maybe built up already. Um, and it's not as simple as just merging it all together because you need to look at the nationalities that they are, you know, where they're going to finally uh, retire or where they're going to move back to. And you need to consider the tax implications as well because there are certain things that you can do uh, as a married couple that you need to make sure that you take tax advice to, to maximise those opportunities. So it's not as simple as just splitting everything in, uh, 50-50 or putting everything in joint. Certainly putting things joint does bring advantages because, you know, in the event of something happened to one or other of you, then you've got that continuation. Um, but it really is where you have to sit down with a, a qualified financial advisor who understands fully your picture, both now and what the, the, the medium to long term looks like, because uh, the way that you structure things will be different for each individual scenario. And in relation to the kids? Children, like everything, uh, is a major change in your life. Um, and certainly when it comes to planning for uh, having children uh, in the mix, there's things that come into play, like you may want to look at having a strategy to, to start funding further education. Certainly protection becomes more and more of an issue. So you need to look at, you know, what existing protection do you maybe have through your employers? You need to look at what protection levels do you think that you'll need based on your own individual circumstances and then work with a financial planner to come up with the right solution for you. Because, you know, if for example, one person earns considerably more than the other, then there is a, a genuine insurable interest in protecting that person's life because the impact financially on yourself and the children could be considerable if something was to happen in the short term. Okay, let's move on to scenario four. So after 15 years of marriage, I've discovered my husband is not all that. And, <laughs> and we want to go our separate ways. What happens to our joint investments? Okay, so that, that's an interesting one because... You know, as someone who's been in the industry for a long time, as you can imagine, we've come across a scenario where we're dealing with divorces. Uh, and, and it's different every time. I mean, if, it, if essentially what it comes down to is the, the lawyers. Uh, the lawyers will work with both parties and they will agree what uh, is the split of the assets. And that is different for every case. A lot of it comes down to assets that were held before they were married, assets that have been accumulated during the marriage. Um, you know, you know, and, it's, and it comes down to that, that agreement. What tends to happen in reality then is that we would then work with the parties involved uh, once we know that what the final decision of the court is as far as the split of assets is concerned and then work with them to start picking up the pieces and start to put together a new plan based on you know the assets that have been uh, accredited to them and their objectives that they may now be different. 
and it usually involves a kind of tearing it up and starting again type financial planning uh, situation. But it's something that we, we, we have to deal with. It's something that people have to deal with when marriages break down. Um, but your financial planner is there to help you to understand what you've now got, what you're left with and what you're trying to achieve going forward and making sure that we, we set things up to give you the best opportunity to get the best options uh, going forward from that. And what's the biggest challenge with this type of scenario? The biggest challenge is that quite often it means that the plans that have been put in place now now are no longer fit for purpose. Um, The situation is so different now that we have to come up with new strategies uh, and we have to unwind positions and we have to try and work out then, okay, if this is where we are now and this is where we want to go, what is the new plan? And then usually it, it, it does take a bit of work to kind of unwind and then put things back into the new norm or the new strategy for that person. And, and it's, as you can imagine, Amber, it's a difficult time because they're going through a divorce. So having to then re-jig and, and look at their finances again as part of that, it's just another layer of, of, of problems that they, they really could do without at that point. And that's where the, the financial planner's job is to try and just try and make that as simple as possible, make that as painless as possible. But when you're putting these plans together, I mean, some of these plans will be illiquid. Um, they may be. Um, for example, pensions. Um, usually what will come down to is you'll get a court order on a, or a pension sharing order, which will then say that that person gets this percentage, that person gets that percentage. Sometimes you have to then earmark that percentage of the pension for future for that person. Sometimes there's a carve-out where the, the assets will be actually liquidated and passed to the other person. So it's, it comes down to the, the, the agreements that get made and, and the type of vehicles that people have. But yeah, you're right, it can be very complicated and it can be a very technical issue. So when you are setting up these joint investments, this is all things that you have to consider. Yeah, well, the good thing is that pensions... Pensions are, by very nature, not joint. You can't have a joint pension. So well, they, just, they, not just talking about pensions. No, I know, but, yeah. I, I, absolutely. So, so things like pensions, which are the more complicated type of trust wrappers that you have, they're uh, you know invariably in single names anyway. So, um, but certainly, yeah, when it comes down to putting together uh, joint investment strategies and joint planning strategies, it's important that you do build in that liquidity that I mentioned before. Because if this happens, then it's quite very easy to to separate them and very easy to then just reestablish them in single names. So I'm going back to Neil Grant's situation where we had a lot of short-term illiquid suspended funds. How would we come out of that? The short answer is you can't. If, there, if it's a gated fund, then you can't get over it. So what you need to do is just um, you know keep an eye on it, um, keep keep looking at it, keep speaking to the, the, the fund managers and seeing if there's any opportunity to get the money out. Uh, and quite often, uh, what you'll get back will be a lot less than what you put in, or sometimes you, you can't get anything out. So it's a case of... It becomes very messy and quite labour intensive. But to be honest with you, if you're dealing with um, a company that puts you into the right types of product for an expatriate, there shouldn't be tie-ins, there shouldn't be exit penalties, there shouldn't be gated funds, there shouldn't be that sort of thing. Because these things invariably happen when they've been selling bad funds that just create a lot of commission. So, you know, or or contractualised products that actually are very illiquid and very difficult to come out without penalties. So if you're dealing with a firm that doesn't do that, then it's, it's very, very simple. But if you've dealt with that stuff in the past or you have that stuff in your portfolio, then invariably it will cost you money to, un- to unwind those positions. And finally, scenario five. I've become an expert in Dubai at the ripe old age of 50. I've met a... That's still very young, by the way. I've become an expert in Dubai at the young age of 50. (laughs) I 
I've met a financial advisor through a friend who is highly recommended to me. I'm on a good salary, say 50,000 dirhams, and this advisor wants me to move my cash out of relatively safe pensions and investment funds and invest them in some new eco-friendly and waste recycling funds. All my friends have signed up for them and the marketing reports given to me by my advisor are all good. Okay, interesting, and, and not a completely uncommon scenario. On, on one hand, you know, I will say this, it's, it's nice where someone does make a recommendation for an advisor because it does normally mean that there must be something that they've done well that has given that person that, that, that good experience and that, that good impression of them. The, the, the key thing here, though, is that you mustn't lose sight of is that you don't just necessarily change your entire uh, investment strategy and your holdings because someone said this is flavour of the month and we're all doing it. Because, you know, just because your friends are doing it, it doesn't mean it's right for you. The key thing there is that you, you, you deal with an advisor who's looking at things from a very bespoke perspective. So looking at your individual circumstances, looking at what you've got already and coming up with the best solution uh, for you as an individual. And that might be very different from your friends. Um, you know, I've got a lot of clients who, you know, if they met each other, probably got on really well, but they're very different as far as what they need from a financial planning perspective because of their risk appetites and things like that. So uh, it's about not following the herd and just doing something because your friends are doing it. It's about looking at what it is, discussing it with a qualified advisor and making sure that it actually is right for you. Because to unwind, as you called them, you know, good pension positions and put it into something very different, although I, I get it that eco-investing has become very, very popular, and, and so it should, because, you know, we're all aware of what's happening with, it, with the planet with COP26 and things like that. So, um, But it doesn't mean to say that that fund is right for you or the risk exposure of that fund is right for you. It does come down to, to looking at your individual circumstances and, and, and making a call as far as, you know, what's the advantages of me to make a change. There must always be a positive advantage for you to make that change, or if it's not broken, don't fix it. Just coming back to the eco-friendly and waste recycling funds, but aren't these high risk? Not necessarily, no. Um, what what you tend to do, rather than looking at it as an individual fund, what you should look at doing really is if you want to start investing into uh, you know sort of eco type strategies or ESG strategies, then what you need to be looking at is. Uh, like, like you should be with any other investment strategy, having a, an asset-allocated, balanced portfolio of funds spread across uh, different different regions, different sectors, uh, different geographies to give you that diversification. Uh, and, and, and making sure that these funds are cost-effective, i.e. They're, 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 they're clean-priced, they're you know, institutional share-class type funds, liquid funds that you could also come out of or you could rebalance the portfolio if you wanted to. These, the, 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 the same philosophies you'd apply to non-eco-investing, a lot of them will apply to eco-investing as well as far as you know, needing that, that liquidity, um, making sure that it's linked to your risk profile and making sure that it's been managed by you know, professional uh, people so that you, you've got the confidence that it's, it's not just that getting on the bandwagon of the flavour of the month and actually it's, it's not actually very well run and, and, and the chances that it could become one of those funds that becomes gated again. So the common theme in all of these five scenarios is the tax implication. Tax implications are absolutely there. You need, there's no point in putting together a fantastic strategy that allows you to grow money while you're a non-taxpayer. But then if you don't plan things properly, you get hammered for tax when you go back to your home country. But a financial advisor, financial planner, he's not going to know the tax situation in all these different countries. So how does the financial advisor planner arrange that for the investor? 
Okay, so if if they're moving back to a country where you don't have the in-house tax expertise, then you absolutely, as a minimum, should encourage that that client to go and speak to somebody who does have that tax expertise and get that guidance from them. Um, or if you've got um, strategic partnerships already as a financial advisor firm with companies that do offer those services, then to make the introduction to them uh, so that they understand the implications. Because, you know, if take Europe, for example. In Europe, there's... there's you know, there's a number of main countries that people may want to retire to and move back to, like Spain, France, Germany, Portugal, Italy. Um, and the tax rules in, in relation to investments in these countries are all wild, wildly different. So you really do need to understand the implications of what it is you've got and what it needs to be structured like when you go back to these countries so that it remains tax optimal for you. So going back to these online courses that are being sold... They're not going to cover any of that stuff. And if you get it wrong, it can be very, very punitive. Okay, I think that's clear for everyone. Um, I think these are good starting points. And if someone does have a situation that we haven't covered, Stuart, can they contact you directly and get your personal advice? Of course, absolutely. Anytime I mean, you can contact us through the website. Our website is easily easily found. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, you can contact me through that as well. Uh, and we're always happy to, to help people out. At the end of the day, sometimes it's as simple as a five-minute conversation, just put someone in the right direction. Uh, but yeah, you know, whatever anyone needs, they can, they can reach out to us. What's the 2022 plan for the Fry Group? What are you working on in the Middle East? Okay, so we're relatively new to this market still. We, we, we were licensed at the end of 2018. Uh, we're now in a position, uh, you know, two and a half years later, we are coming up for three years now, where we are now built a sustainable business and it's starting to grow. Um, we've made the decision that we are going to grow org- organically. So as and when we can't cope with the levels of business that we've got, we will then start to grow the business. And we're at, now at that stage where we're having to bring in extra bodies, which is a great problem to have. So we're really looking at, you know, the Middle East continues to be a very uh, important strategic uh, uh, position for the Fry Group's global footprint. Um, so we can see that, that it's going to be a growth area for us. Exactly how big and how quickly that is uh, something that hasn't been decided yet. But certainly it's going to be, initially for the next two or three years at least, it will be based on organic growth, based on demand. That's great. Thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much for having me. And our thanks to our listeners. I hope it's been of value. Do take the opportunity to get a second opinion on your investment plans or current portfolio. There's really no harm in doing that. And it just gives you that all important peace of mind. By the way, Stuart's last episode, where we walked you through the top three things we should look for when selecting a financial advisor, the first time he came on the show, it's still killing it in our archives. So I recommend it to our new listeners and it's worth listening to it again if you heard it the first time round. Check out episode two. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast app so you can stay up to date on our latest episodes. Take care.